Good morning. It's 810. It's a Thursday edition of Jacksonville's Morning News. We're five days away from the Florida primary and a number of key races in Northeast Florida. I mean, we could be seeing some significant changes in leadership and not just uh, uh, what's happening in, in some of the U.S. representative races. We know that Andrew Crenshaw isn't seeking re-election, so we'll have one new face uh, representing us in Washington. We have the potential of two if Corrine Brown doesn't win her pr- uh, primary next week. We have a lot of new faces who will be representing us uh, in Tallahassee in the state uh, legislature. And locally, with the state attorney's race and a pretty uh, hotly contested race, new polling out by University of North Florida today showing the challenger, Melissa Nelson, faring very well with likely Republican voters, but there are still a number of undecideds. The race for public defender also faces a challenger versus the incumbent, and that's where we shine the spotlight today as we begin this spotlight with the uh, challenger, Charles Kofer, who, Charlie, is what you go by now and uh, on the campaign trail and also in all the ads and whatnot. Uh, The poll by UNF that was just out today, I'm sure you got to be feeling and pretty good about you have about a, a 20 percentage point advantage over the incumbent Matt Shirk. I'm intrigued by the number of undecideds, though. I mean, uh, five days away from the election, 36 percent of undecideds out there. How are you working to secure that vote with so many undecideds? Do you think it's because they don't know about the race as much as they know about the other ones? Well, I think in polling, sometimes undecideds are people who have not yet voted. And so a certain percentage of them may have already decided on who they're going to vote for. Since the polling in early June, the undecided group has definitely decreased, but we'll keep trying to get our message out. We'll be doing a lot of uh, TV and radio ads just to get our message out. As you've had experience both as an assistant public defender for many years and then as a judge, what do you see as being your number one priority should you win this election immediately for the office of the public defender? Well, first of all, it's returning integrity and experience to the office. I was there for 18 years. I know how that office should be run, how to run it ethically and professionally. So I'll be able to restore it in pretty short order. There are a lot of really good people that are working in that office. I think they're looking for guidance, and I'll be able to provide that sort of guidance for them. How would you describe your personal ethics? Can they be described? And how would that influence your leadership on the office? Well, I think my personal ethics, as a judge for the last 17 years, I think that's that's pretty much self-evident. I'm well-respected within the legal community. I know what what course to lead my life, and I know what the ethical rules are. And so, in fact, I've been a, serving as a mentor judge for new judges for the last 15 years to help teach them ethics. So I don't think there's any questions about my ethics or professionalism. The incumbent state, uh, excuse me, the incumbent public defender who you are challenging has faced a number of issues uh, dating back to 2013 in the Florida Ethics Commission case that's still ongoing as well. As as an attorney, um, as a colleague, and now as a, as a political candidate in, in that space, have you wrestled at all with the decision of how um, aggressive you and your campaign would be in challenging some of the allegations and some of what already has been proven against Matt Shirk? Where have you come down on that? Well, it's it's been an unusual thing because we've had to throw away issues, not even deal with certain issues about him, and try to focus on the most important issues. Certainly what happened in 2013 and the grand jury's report was, was scathing. Uh, we have focused more on what the office is doing and whether the office is functioning properly. And in my view, having been a, a firsthand observer in the courts on a day-to-day basis, I became convinced that the attorneys weren't probably being prepared and the office was not doing its job. You just see so many complaints from the clients. 
Uh, so many cases being reversed now, which are costing the taxpayers money to have to redo things. That wasn't in place back when I served in the office under Lou Frost. If you are elected, will you overhaul the office? Does it need a talent overhaul? Well, what it needs, there, there, I will not do the slash and burn thing that he did. There will be certainly a few people who will probably leave. That, that normally happens in a transition. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in there and look at everybody on a case-by-case basis, find out whether they are committed to working for the clients, committed to the mission of the office, and I'm, I'm going to work with them. There are certain things on the administrative side where I think I can eliminate some unnecessary positions and save the taxpayers money, uh, make our budget more efficient. Uh, and I've, I've talked with the, about those things. But this isn't going to be a, a blowing up of the office like he did back in 2008. I'd and, imagine the position that a lot of the, the assistant public defenders are in is, you know, starting careers and whatnot. And there are many lucrative opportunities that they could have in private practice. We talked about that yesterday with State Attorney Angela Corey. How do you plan to retain the top talented people and also not break the taxpayers uh, back on that as well. Well, how you retain it, you know, first of all, me coming in, a a lot of the attorneys in that office are hopeful that I come in. I've I've talked with a lot of attorneys, and and I wouldn't want to mention names, but they are looking for guidance. And I think if someone such as myself comes in there to be able to provide them guidance, provide them the mentoring, make them better lawyers, I think that alone will help retain retain the good lawyers. But they can only be paid so much. I mean, how do you ensure that you're balancing the budget and trying to retain the talent when they have the opportunity, lucrative opportunities, to potentially head out to private practice? Well, you just have to have them understand the importance of the mission. You have to find the right sort of people that are committed to doing that for reasons other than just the salary. Uh, Certainly, state attorney, public defender salaries are not competitive with the private sector. I was in the private sector. I know that. When I left back in 1980 to join the public defender's office, I had to take a huge pay cut. But there's something more than just earning money. There's, there's a mission to be accomplished, and it's a noble mission. It's not well understood, but it's an important mission. Our candidate spotlights continue on Jacksonville's Morning News and also on Facebook Live if you want to go back and watch any of the conversations we've had from earlier this week in the public defender's race. The challenger, Charles Kofer, is with me in studio, and we were talking on Facebook Live about the uncertainty over Florida's death penalty ultimately to be decided by the, the courts at either the state Supreme Court or maybe U.S. Supreme Court level for that matter. Does that mean ultimately that a decision that would uh, move away from the 7 to 5 if, uh, if there was a sentencing and a death penalty sentence on a 7-5 to five, um, decision, if it ends up being 10-2 or unanimous ultimately at the end of the day, will all those need to be resentenced? And what kind of cost does that have on taxpayers going forward? And how would your office handle all those? I'm, I'm certain that uh, there will be litigation over the issue of whether the new standard is retroactive or not. I would imagine for all defendants who had a jury recommendation vote of less than 10-2, to two, We'll be filing motions for resentencing or motions uh, to uh, have the death penalty vacated. That's probably the first phase. You also have the whole process of the Florida Supreme Court having to adopt new jury instructions for death penalty cases, and this is what's put a lot of them on hold. There's so much uncertainty with the new legislation, exactly how to instruct juries. Uh, it'll all take time to sort out. But if there are resentencings, yes, that, that will that will cost some 
the state a good bit. Would it be your plan to uh, to be in court defending uh, death penalty cases as well, or would you hire death penalty experts and lean on them to do that? What would be your plan of election? Well, I would I would do both. I spent ten years as a homicide attorney, and and I've qualified to handle those cases. I've also spent sufficient time and had the training as a judge to preside over a first-degree murder case. Initially, my job is going to be go in and fix things and correct things in the office from the administration standpoint, set up the proper training, reassign people to where they're best suited. I will also be able to bring in people from the outside to handle death penalty cases. But eventually, I would imagine that that I'll try cases personally. I would imagine that there, I don't know if there's a number or a percentage of, of the clients who come through the public defender's office who you represent who have had uh, uh, mental health challenges. Are we doing enough? What opportunities have yet to be tapped in the mental health space? And what opportunities would you want to tap to be able to try to prevent people from even committing crimes in the first place so that you never even have to defend them? Well, I think one of the important things to help prevent people with mental health issues from offending is providing the support services with outside in the community, caseworkers to monitor people who have severe mental health. And that's that's truly a funding issue. Everybody will tell you that our jail system is probably one of the largest mental health facilities, but it's ill-equipped to actually provide therapeutic services to people. So I, I was involved back in the 80s, early 90s with Sheriff Rutherford when he was head of jails in developing a diversionary program to get nonviolent misdemeanors out of our jail who had severe mental health problems and have them transported directly to one of the receiving facilities. It's been an excellent program. Uh, it's worked well. It's still working well. We're still using the same forms that I helped develop with the sheriff back then. Uh, so those are some of the smaller things we can do. But I think the community has to recognize, and they've recognized in other jurisdictions, that a little bit of money spent on the front end of providing mental health services will save the community a lot in the long run, will help reduce crime. Appreciate you coming in this morning and getting to know a little bit more about you, the challenger in the race for public defender, Charlie Kofer. Thank you very much.